You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. So years back, I was cleaning out the garage. There was an old shelving unit that had been left there, and I was taking it apart, and I was going to load it up in the pickup and take it down to the dump. And I'm a bit careless uh, when I'm doing things with my hands. And so I'm just throwing things into the back of the truck. My wife walks out, and she says, hey, be careful. Be careful because those shelves are very slick and it could slide through and break the window. And uh, never do I align with toxic masculinity quite like when I'm in a pickup truck. (laughs) Like, listen, lady, (laughs) that's your domain. This is my domain here. Sure enough, moments later, I'm, I'm throwing those shelves in and one sucker just goes right through the back window of my truck doesn't just break it, explodes the back window. And that smug little look on Michelle's face is seared in my memory to this day. Not to mention the little pieces of glass that I still find, no matter how many times I've vacuumed vacuumed out that, that vehicle, the small little pieces of glass that are a reminder to me that number one, I am an absolute idiot. And number two, I need to listen to warnings. I need to listen to warnings. We're continuing our series in the letter or maybe perhaps the sermon to the Hebrews, which repeatedly emphasizes that Jesus is better. Better than what? Everything. And the author just spent a majority of the last chapter showing us that Jesus is far superior to angels who are believed to be the mediators of the old covenant law given at Sinai. Angels are messengers, but Jesus is the very message himself. And Jesus is better in that he is the son. Jesus is better in that he is the sovereign king. And Jesus is better in that he is the savior of the world. Jesus is the greater prophet. Jesus is the greater priest. Jesus is the greater king. So our passage today begins with a therefore, that's a connecting word, which means in light of everything that has come before this, everything that has been mentioned before, namely that Jesus is better. Therefore, because Jesus is better, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard concerning this Jesus that is better. And so today we're looking at a very important warning. If you have an ESV, the little header there says a warning against neglecting salvation. This is one of five 
explicit warnings that are found in the letter of Hebrews. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we have this weird, complicated relationship with warnings. We desperately need warnings, and yet we carelessly ignore them. In our right minds, we know, okay, I have blind spots. I need people pointing things out that I'm not going to see myself. But in the heat of the moment, we think, no, 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 no. I'm the exception. I am the exception. And sadly, for many of us, it only really seems to be once it's too late that we begin to take warnings serious. So please, with the words provided to us in Scripture, please pay attention. Please pay attention. And please do not think that you are the exception. Because even the author of Hebrews himself is going to take his own warning to heart. We, he says, must pay attention lest we drift. How can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Pay attention. So here's where where we're going to begin. We're going to begin with the first theme we see here of drifting, if you're taking notes. Look with me again in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we what? Drift away from it. Now, if you've spent any time in the ocean, you know exactly what's being communicated here. You could be swimming or your body surfing or doing whatever. You're caught up having fun, splashing around in the water, and you look up and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not where I used to be. I started here and now I'm here. And the currents have moved you so slowly and so subtly that you didn't even know it was happening until it's already happened. And so like that experience in the ocean, you don't have to do anything to spiritually drift. It is a completely passive movement. No one wakes up one morning and says, you know what, today's gonna be the day that I try to drift. No one tries to drift, no one decides to drift, no one puts an effort to drift, and rarely does anyone know that they're actually drifting. I remember reaching out to another believer recently explicitly telling him, hey, I'm concerned that you are drifting. And his response was to assure me, he said, don't worry, I will let you know if I am. And I thought, no, you won't. No, you won't. You'll be the last person to know it. We'd like to think as Christians, especially those of us who've been Christians for a long time, we'd like to think that at a certain point, we then start to drift towards Jesus. That that's what becomes natural in our lives. That we naturally move towards godliness. That we naturally move towards the fruit of the spirit and towards faith. But we don't. This side of glory, the currents are constantly against you. And the surest sign that perhaps you are drifting is that you no longer feel the currents going against you. Because, quite frankly, you're going with the flow. The currents can be a number of things. Currents can be severe suffering in your life that has caused you to doubt the goodness of God. The currents can be opposition in your faith, someone mocking you or questioning why why you would be devoting your life to Jesus. The currents can be an ungodly relationship that keeps drawing you back towards compromise and sin. 
But the currents can also be far more subtle things, acceptable things like busyness, distractions, full schedules, wedding season, kids' sports seasons, the status quo of life, fitting in, going with the flow. As D.A. Carson said, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise, and then we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience, and then we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition, we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control, and we call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we've escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. Quite frankly, we drift. Therefore, we must pay careful attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift. The word here for pay attention is actually a nautical um, ocean, maritime word. It means to turn into harbor. It means, it, it illustrates essentially a ship turning towards shore. So like a similar word, repentance, it's a very directional word. The only way to resist this natural drift is to intentionally and daily turn or reorient our lives around what we have heard. You don't need a new word, friend. You don't need some breakthrough message from heaven or some secret mystical word from God above or through the divine realm. You need to pay attention to what you've already heard. To the message you're already familiar with. To the message you're like, yeah, 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 I know that one. Return to the message you've heard. And he's referring to the gospel of Jesus. It's described here as the message first declared by the Lord himself, then confirmed by the first disciples who were witnesses to his miracles, namely the miracle of his resurrection. And then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, those who pass that message down to the next generation of believers, and so on, and so on, and so on, and here we are, believing the gospel today. He's talking about the announcement that God entered into humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the life according to the law that we could not live. He died a sacrificial death on the cross that we deserved because of a sin. On the third day, he rose again, conquering the power of death and is now seated at the right hand of the Father on high. Pay attention to the gospel message you have already heard, lest you drift. Drifting. Secondly, you guys still with me? Danger, danger. Warnings have to do with danger. No one gets out of their car, rushes into the middle of the road with their arms waving and stopping traffic, and as they roll down their window, out of breath says, up ahead, you just gotta know that there's a smooth road and beautiful scenery. No one warns about amazing things coming. The warning is about danger ahead. 
The language of this passage is concerned with certain danger. Pay attention. Even the word escape, it means to flee from danger to safety. So the author of Hebrews says that there's a danger ahead that you danger ahead that you and I must be aware of in order to escape it. And so the threat of drifting is extremely severe. He is warning about that very danger coming. I remember hearing a story about a, a pastor when he was uh, a young man in college in a dorm room and during his undergrad, and he shared a dorm with uh, another young man who was not a believer. And this Christian was, you know, like many of us, just not very bold in his faith, didn't want to rock the boat, and didn't want to tell him about Jesus and be seen as weird. He was timid. And so we never really quite told him about his faith or God or sin, salvation, Jesus Christ, any of that. One day, the, Christian's, the Christian young man's out, and he comes back to his dorm room, and he finds his unbelieving roommate sitting there with a Bible in his hands. And he looks up at this young Christian with a very serious look on his face, and he says, if you really believed that this is true, why didn't you tell me about this? If you really believed that this is true, why didn't you warn me? What is the danger that Hebrews is describing? What is it that we need to escape? And the answer is God's judgment, which is often described in scriptures as waters, like the flood waters in Genesis chapter 6 and the days of Noah that brought judgment upon the earth. Or the waters of the Red Sea that were parted so that God's chosen people could pass through, but then came crashing down on the pursuing army, Pharaoh and his men. Or how about the story of Jonah? As he was explicitly running from God, and God sent a storm to get him. None of this like, well, God allows language. No, God hurled the storm upon him. And we read in Genesis, um, Genesis, sorry, Jonah chapter 2, this prayer that he prays from the belly of the fish. For you, speaking to God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It's judgment. And so in the scriptures and in ancient literature around the time of the Bible, the sea was not seen as a fun place to go swim and splash around. The ocean is historically and biblically not the place you go vacation. The sea is chaos. The sea is disorder. The sea is the unseen realm with all kinds of crazy creatures and monsters. The sea is death. And the waters are judgment. Which, by the way, helps us make sense of a really amazing note that we find in Revelation chapter 21 where it says, in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more sea. Wait, there won't be an ocean? Maybe it's saying something different. And while we must be concerned about other dangers in our lives, dangers that the Bible warns us about, like temptation, 
and the schemes of the enemy, the devil, and uh, the flesh, the works of the flesh, and other threats of evil in this world. But the most serious danger that humanity faces is the coming judgment of God against all sin and unrighteousness. And yes, this judgment is fierce. But the Bible also tells us that God's judgment is completely just. And it's completely deserved. Verses two through three, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So what he's doing here is he's comparing the message delivered through angels, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments or the Mosaic Covenant, between that and the greater message that is Jesus himself. And he's getting us to consider the former in order to appreciate the latter. Consider what happened when people disregarded and disobeyed God's law in the Old Testament. They were punished severely. At points, the earth opened up and swallowed people. Now, he asks, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen if people don't listen to something that is greater than the law? What do you think is going to happen if you ignore Jesus, who is God's final word? Now, the alarming thing here is that what's being condemned is not bad behavior. What's being condemned here is not outright rebellion towards God. What's being condemned here is negligence. How will we escape if we neglect? And so what this means for us today is negligence is one of your greatest spiritual liabilities. Don't think because you're avoiding the big bad sins, you're doing great. Your greatest spiritual liability is something as common and subtle and overlooked as negligence. C.H. Spurgeon put it this way, you need not go to the trouble of despising it or resisting it or opposing it. You can be lost readily enough simply by neglecting it. In fact, the great mass of those who perish are those who neglect this great salvation. We see drifting, we see danger. Finally, we see the theme of deliverance, deliverance. So Michelle and I uh, went on a beachside vacation last year. And because of this, toward the end of our trip, because of this crazy storm that was brewing offshore, these massive waves started to come in. So much so that they were like breaking up onto the shore and coming into like the restaurants on the beach and that sort of thing. And so everyone saw the clear warning signs, the waves crashing, the double red flag. If you've ever been to the beach, you've seen that before. The waves became giant. If I were to guess, they were like between 15 to 20 feet high. I mean, like surf competition height waves crashing into this like recreational area. And as Michelle and I were walking back to our place, we saw a ton of people lined up on this high retaining wall overlooking the beach and they were all there like anxiously waving 
and yelling and focused on something in the water. And the closer that we got, we saw that there was just this little figure in the water, and it was a swimmer. And it was someone who had ignored all the warnings and went into the ocean anyways, and now they were not able to come back onto the shore. And I can't even describe the way that these waves were crashing into this individual, just tumbling him. At certain points, you would just see feet come out of the water being dragged out, and then he would disappear for just painfully long amounts of time, and then he would reemerge somewhere else far away, and then he'd get really, really close to coming back in, and then the undertower that were treating water would suck him back out. And so the people were watching, uh, they were deeply invested. I mean, they were yelling and like, oh my gosh, and sighs and hands over their face. People, people were, were witnessing something really, really tragic. And we all knew what was going to happen. Now, selfishly, I'm here on vacation thinking, I'm going to watch a guy die on our last day of vacation. That's not a great cap to a wonderful beach vacation. If I was feeling this sort of distress from the shore... I cannot imagine the distress that this person has, is feeling in the water. We talked to another lady who was standing there. She said that um, he had actually been warned multiple times not to go in the water. And he had been warned multiple times as the waves started to increase and getting bigger. But he thought he was a strong enough swimmer to endure this sort of thing. And he found out the hard way that he was not. And so there we are, I don't know, maybe 100 people on this retaining wall just standing there watching this individual who's going to die. And then to our surprise, and I'm sure to this man's deep relief, a little glimmer of hope appears in the form of a wave runner with a lifeguard on it. He maneuvers, masterfully maneuvers through these waves, reaches out his hand, and rescues this person now, this man had come to the end of himself. He had faced the relentless waves long enough at this point to know that he didn't need to just keep swimming harder. That he didn't have what it took to rescue himself at this point. That he needed rescuing, he needed saving, he needed a deliverance that would be absolutely foolish for him to ignore at this point. And, and this illustration is helpful in a couple ways. For one, it shows us the danger of ignoring the warnings of Scripture. And if I could be honest and respectful, the foolishness, the utter foolishness of ignoring the warnings that Scripture give us. But it also helps us contrast the message given by angels and the message of Jesus, specifically the law's ability to save us and the greater salvation that we discover in Jesus Christ. The message that the angels delivered at Sinai, again, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, it is described here as reliable and binding. So the author of Hebrews is not going to say, oh, disregard all of that Old Testament stuff. This preacher is never going to say we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. No, he says the word of God found in the Old Testament, particularly the Mosaic Covenant, is reliable and it's true. It reveals what is right and it shows us what a life of moral uprightness with God ought to look like. It is reliable. But like the people yelling at that man from the shore, swim! 
The law tells us the right thing to do. The law shows us the right direction to move. But the law offers us zero power to do it. Just like us on that shore, we had zero power to help this person. And trying our best to adhere to God's standards is never going to be saving. Jesus, however, we're told here, offers us a greater salvation, not just showing us the way, but making a way when there is, was no way. Jesus came and entered into our danger. Jesus subjected himself to the chaos and the death of the waves. We're told that on the cross, Jesus was plunged into judgment. Jesus went down into the waters of judgment so that we could be raised up out of it. In fact, that this is the illustration we have in baptism. We, we pass through the waters of judgment like Noah, but we come out safely on the other side because of Jesus. Jesus stood there and he faced the crashing wave of God's judgment. Why? The Heidelberg Catechism tells us this. This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. What makes this salvation so great? It's not just what we've been saved from, although that is amazing, we've been saved from sin. We've been saved from death. We've been saved from wrath. We've been saved from hell. But also what we've been saved into. The book of Hebrews. Now I'm just hinting at this right now. The book of Hebrews is going to unfold, showing us all of the amazing benefits that are ours because of faith in Jesus Christ. But one is mentioned very briefly in this passage, verse four, gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will or his gracious will. What is wrapped up in that short little statement is this, that through trusting in Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he bestows into our lives the third person of the Trinity who causes us to share in all of Jesus' benefits, who now empowers us not only to resist the drift, but to move in the direction of life, to move in the direction of joy, to move in the direction of power, to move in the direction of resurrection abundance. Yes, there's still effort. Yes, there is still movement. To mix metaphors, yes, there is still a walk. But it's a spirit-empowered movement. It's not your own strength. It's the power and energy of heaven now at work within you. Amen. Let me conclude with this. This warning is not, and I really want you to hear me clearly. This warning is not intended to make genuine Christians feel unstable in their faith. I promise you I'm not trying to do that today. The gospel that you have believed is completely reliable. It is rock steady. In fact, 
the Bible would show us that the amount of witnesses to the resurrection are adequate to make it historical proof. And the truth of Jesus is so reliable, as one historian or one theologian once said, it's so reliable that you could stake your life on it a thousand times. I want you to have that rock steady assurance in Jesus Christ. Who this is intended to unsettle today, who this is intended to shake up inside are those who are neglecting the things of Jesus. Those who have assumed that because they said a prayer decades ago, at some camp when things were being hyped up or at some promise keepers event or some arena event, you felt stirred and you said a prayer because of that that prayer you made decades ago that it's all set, no need to pursue Christ, no need to, no need to pursue the things of Jesus, no need for grace-driven effort. We just kind of slide now. This is intended to shake you up. Or for those who've grown bored and apathetic with the things of Jesus, you have no vitality, you have no eagerness to worship God, you have no joy in God's word, you have no passion to tell others about Jesus. This is intended to shake you up. Or for those who've assumed upon God's grace, that think that, that now, there's just freedom to do whatever you want. Freedom to live without regard to God's commands. Freedom to have it your way. No repentance, no change, no striving to obey, no fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is intended to startle you to your core. I had a professor that once said, if the Bible teaches a warning, I better feel warned afterwards. And my hope and prayer is just to be true to what the author of Hebrews is doing in this time. And the honest truth is that this is tremendously bad news for those who are drifting. But it's also incredibly good news as well. Because wherever you are, and I want to emphasize this point, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself today, the answer is still going to be the same. And rescue is still available in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The only instruction, and if I've been paying attention, the only instruction mentioned in Hebrews thus far is this. Pay much closer attention. What do I need to do? Give your full attention to Jesus. Give your full attention to Jesus. Resist the drift, not by your own power, not through your own grit, not through your own determination, but by giving your full attention to Jesus. If you're sinking, if your head is barely above water, if you've got no energy to keep going in faith, if you feel like you are drowning and no one around you knows it but you, I want you to remember Peter. Remember the disciple Peter? And the infamous story where the disciple is out on the water and then he gets his eyes off Jesus? Matthew chapter 14 says this, but when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. 
the first and the foundational command of the Christian life is not swim harder. It's not toil for Jesus. It's turn your attention to him. It's not work to get your way out. It's watch what he can do. The first and foundational command of the Christian faith is call out to the only one who can save. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, save me. This is simply commanding your obsession. And I don't know everyone here personally, but I know enough of you to say this. We are all capable of obsessing about something. We all have the capacity to obsess in our lives. The Bible is not asking you to do something you cannot do or that you're not already doing. The Bible is saying, turn your obsession onto him. Remain anchored to him in prayer. Remain anchored to him through enjoying and studying his word by seeking to hear and respond to his words in faith and obedience. I want to speak to my own children, my own kids, my own kids. Give your full attention to him. I want to speak to the youth of this church. Give your full attention to him. I want to speak to the person who is seeking and who's on the fence. Give your full attention to him. I want to speak to the new believer who has no idea what they're doing here. Give your full attention to him. And I want to speak to the believer who's been following Jesus for so long that familiarity has bred contempt. Give your full attention to Jesus. To those who feel alive, to those who feel numb, to those who are full of energy, and to those who are barely scraping by. Give your full attention to Jesus. Amen? Let me pray. God, it is our...